welcome to the second episode of Net Zero Conversations with Climate Wise. I'm joined by the directors, Stephen Custry and Justin Brantnigan. So firstly, Justin, how do you select the projects? Um, well, we've got a criteria which we uh, which we kind of go through when analysing each project that uh, kind of comes available to us. Um, you know, first and foremost, that, that they have to have some sort of impact on either carbon reduction through sequestration or um, preventing carbon being released into the atmosphere in the first place. That that is obviously the primary primary drive behind everything that we do. But then we actually then expand beyond that, and we try to. Um, select a, a variety of, of projects that provide us uh, uh, again a variety of geographical locations but then also actually have ancillary benefits to the local environment whether that be um, increasing biodiversity within the local environment providing job opportunity and equal opportunity job opportunities for the local environment and improving the health within that local environment and improving the infrastructure so those ancillary benefits all kind of come into the <clears throat> into that kind of formula that we utilize um, and then we also look for things that for us are the most cost effective um, and probably have the longest sustainability and once that's then done um, the final thing we then look at is do we actually have a nice geographical spread that provides a little bit of um, reliability is maybe the best word for it in terms of should something happen within a particular region we still have enough projects going on around the world that provides us some security that we can actually provide um, offset or help companies offset their footprint so that we're not um, under the influence of any local environmental disasters or politics that may affect a particular project in a particular location. So we, we kind of analyze all those factors. We, we grade each one of those sections on that and then we choose the projects that obviously pull out the best scores. Amazing, thank you for that. Uh, Steve, can you tell me why the project's impact vary? Well, the project's impact varies, which obviously the, the local cost of, of putting everything on the ground differs from country to country. So if you look at the cost, for example, of planting a tree in Luxembourg um, or in Monaco is very different than the cost of planting a tree uh, in Thailand. Um, and, and a lot of that is due to land cost and a lot of it is due to labour cost. So, so there's, there's going to be significant differences. And that's why when uh, certainly for the, those com companies based in very, very small locations, um, we have a number of them. It's difficult to offset or do all of your offset locally. You can, of course, contribute to environmental projects, but it's difficult to get all of your offset locally. And so you get better impact, greater impact, more CO2 offset by looking at some of these global projects, which is why they are in some of the uh, lower cost areas of the world. Um, and so that's, that's purely why the cost can be different. That makes sense. Um, Justin, how do you monitor the projects then? Um, we have a, a variety of mechanisms, but first and foremost, um, we, we obviously work from partners, but a lot of the projects we, we support or engage with are um, uh, gold standard projects or UN endorsed projects that have independent verifiers coming in and basically saying yeah, this project is doing what it says on the tin. So for <clears throat> we know the impact of, of, of the creation of a wind farm is um, the production of X amount of energy, which then uh, reduces the amount of CO2 being pumped into the atmosphere through uh, you know, non-renewable, non-sustainable kind of methods. Um, <clears throat> so all the projects we engage with, we tend to engage with a, a mechanism that allows for independent verification. So it's the gold standard projects, the UN endorsed projects. Um, and then we also have projects that we are getting up and off the grounds from ourselves. So the Bermuda Seagrass project is a classic example. And um, we've got a couple of other ones which we are looking to develop. 
Um, now, with those projects, obviously, when you get things started, you haven't got any of the, the data and calculations, but we, we create that methodology as they go along. And those projects also then go through an independent verification process. So it's not just us saying this is what's happening. It's other people coming in and going, this is exactly what's happening. We know this is the exact impact uh, and this is the benefits it's having within the local environments and on a global scale. Amazing. Um, Steve, can you tell me more about the Bermuda Seagrass project? Yeah, the Bermuda Seagrass project was set up, it was a, a concept that was driven by um, the Department of the Environment and Natural Resources in Bermuda, the governmental department. Um, we got involved to try and help help uh, create the project around it. So we were involved in assisting with some fundraising for the project, uh, working with uh, project governance, working with some of the reporting, as Justin said. And so it links together both the government, uh, climate-wise as an organization, and then corporate donors. And so we work very closely alongside them. And what the Bermuda Seagrass Project does is, uh, you know, the, the Department of Natural Resources had realized there had been massive seagrass reduction around Bermuda, and that's for a number of reasons. And that was impacting everything from uh, fish stock to, to, to CO2, and that would have knock-on impacts with, with the reef and the, the quality of the marine life. Um, that obviously impacts not only uh the, the carbon element but it also impacts uh, a lot of other elements in the environment all the linkages um tied together right into lobsters and coral reefs so uh that got together they created a very novel idea of creating these cages to protect seagrass picked a number of sites to try and regenerate to try and replenish seagrass which is one of the great carbon sinks and uh, blue carbon were very keen to try and get data from that project to help measure uh, to look at the impacts uh, uh, and what seagrass actually stores so that can be used for other projects all over the world the project itself you know the, the biggest the, the biggest aim for it is environmental is to protect and uh, and replenish uh, the quality of sea life and marine life around around bermuda uh, one of the ancillary benefits obviously also has co2 reduction so we're working with all of those aspects uh, and bringing both the corporate donors for some of the money support, the scientists from the government, and then linking that all together with the community to make sure that everyone really is, it's a holistic project. That's great. Um, Justin, are there any more projects in the pipeline? Um, yes, as, as kind of uh, mentioned before, we, we are in the preliminary stages of, of um, looking at a project uh, down in Zimbabwe, um, which is going to be a reforestation, a reforestation project and sustainable uh, tree development for the local uh, community. So that's kind of the early stages. We're looking at a, uh, an area of land that will then buy into local support and provide providing cook stoves for the local community as well to make um, them more efficient in terms of their energy production and uh, food cooking kind of production. It also has the ancillary benefit then of actually reducing the amount of CO2 being released into the atmosphere. And on a local scale, that actually improves the, the health um, of the local community as they'll, they'll be re breathing in less, uh, less pollutants created by kind of open fires. Um, so the idea really is to almost divide the, the area into two kind of separate areas of, of of forestry, one which is actually provide, which is quick growing uh, trees that provides the, the fuel resource for the local community in conjunction with new uh, cook stoves that are more efficient. And the second area then is the sustainable plantation and reforestation of an area that then allows uh, the natural biodiversity within that local environment to go in. And when you when you look at both those pictures, you have the the carbon sink uh, sink being created by the trees, but also by allowing uh, natural wildlife to then go through the forest, they start to embed um, carbon back into the soil through a very much more natural process. 
so we are in the early stages of that um you know Stephen's done a lot of work down there got uh, some involvement with some local organizations and charities and getting some governmental support as well so you know those are the kind of areas that we're looking to to <coughs> develop more as we go along um, because I think if you if you analyse it on a global scale, there are not enough projects globally currently to even offset the UK's footprint, let alone the world's footprint. So one of the key drivers behind what we do is to try and look at new opportunities, get new funding to create, um, <clears throat> you know, hopefully new sustainable projects that have, as mentioned before, both a carbon benefit, whether it be through carbon reduction or sequestration, but also benefits on a local uh, local scale in terms to improve health, uh, employment opportunities, um, educational opportunities, and, and you know, a bit like the Bermuda seagrass as well, uh, increased biodiversity as well. Well, thank you. And thank you both for providing an insight into the climate project. Don't forget to tune into our next podcast to find out more about carbon footprinting.